Hey, what's up? It's MJ. Want to snag a $100 Napa cab for $25? Wine Spies finds incredible wines at ridiculous prices. We're talking Zinfandel, Barolo, Champagne, you name it. Some of these wines are up to 75% off. It's not a club, so there's no obligation to buy. They even have a build a case option so you can mix and match wines and take advantage of free shipping on every purchase. Make sure you keep an eye out for their daily offer because once a wine sells out, there's no guarantee it'll be back. Go ahead and check them out. You'll even get a discount by going to winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hello, everybody. It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is sommelier, wine consultant, and self-proclaimed wellness geek, Lee Campbell. Hi. Lee is an ardent supporter of sustainable vine farming and traditional non-interventionist winemaking techniques. After working in some of Washington, D.C.'s and Manhattan's top culinary and venuous establishments, she hopped the East River to Brooklyn and became the wine director for the Tarlow Restaurant Group, which included Diner, Marlowe & Sons, Romans, and Renard. As co-creator of the Big Glue and co-organizer of the Wild World Austin, Lee has been instrumental in the establishment of America's natural wine fair circuit. She presently represents the burgeoning Virginia producer Early Mountain Vineyard. And above all, Lee advocates for the integration of wine and food into a balanced, healthy, and joyful life. Welcome to the show, Lee. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I'm just glad to be here. Thanks, MJ. It's going to be really nice to spend some time with you. Likewise. So everybody, Lee and I connected um, indirectly through Instagram. Um a woman named Cattell Plevin. Thank you, Cattell. Yeah. Uh, She's my dog's uh, fairy godmother. Oh, wow. Family. Yeah, Yeah. Cattell's family. Yeah, so Cattell follows my feed, and um, I announced I was doing a podcast. She's like, oh, I know three great guests for you. (laughs) Andre Mack, Lee Campbell, (laughs) and the next guest, Michelle Maldonado. And uh, finally, we were able to... Madeline. Madeline, yes. I I grew up with a Michelle Maldonado. Mm -hmm. Sorry, everybody. Didn't everybody? Um, she was a cheerleader. Everybody who looks like us. Cheryl <laughs> <laughs> Maldonado was a cheerleader. She was a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, so that's how we connected, and, 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 and I'm so glad you're here, and we're finally going to sit down and do this. And if you, guys are, if you guys are watching the clips, um, you know, we, you know we, are, we, are, we are being socially responsible. We get tested, my producer and I, and, and uh, you know, Lee, very, you know, she, she said, I'm going to throw off my Care Newell uh, persona, and uh, so we're here, and we want to respect trying that. Trying not to die. Yeah, trying not to die. But we, st- <laughs> but it's really nice to drink wine with someone. You have to admit, it is. right? This is overdue. God, I'm right. Desperate, <laughs> desperate times. So tell us what we're drinking tonight. Lee. Okay, so um, 
My passion project right now is um, helping to promote and spread the word, evangelize, if you will, about Virginia wines. Um, this is particularly a winery that I'm working with very closely called Early Mountain Vineyards. Um, winemaker's name is Ben Jordan, a definite savant, brilliant kind of self-taught guy. And um, the particular wine that we're drinking right now is called Intention. Now, this is a really special cuvee. We've only, this is the first time we ever made it in 2017, which is a really great vintage. We only make it in great vintages, so the next one will be 2019. It is a blend of what I think is going to become the flagship grape for Virginia, which is Petit Mansang, mm -hmm. and also 45% Sauvignon Blanc. In this case, everything is estate grown on our estate. We have 55 acres that we farm ourselves. Yeah, well, I, I, um, Tasting the wine, absolutely delicious. Yeah. It has a, a, a Viognier or a white Rhone mouthfeel. Um, and that, that has a little bit to do with the lease contact. This has extended lease contact 22 months altogether. Oh, wow. Um, so that's really adding to that. But, you know, I also think it's really fun to reference some of those hearkening, early hearkening moments of Virginia viticulture and winemaking like Horton Viognier and, and thinking about those wines and how there might be a through line to sort of these modern interpretations. Yeah, no, I, I that was um, – <clears throat> actually, it's a funny story. You said you mentioned uh, Horton. I was – working out in the Hamptons uh, in the early 2000s one summer, and I'm in Murph's Bar in Sag Harbor, and I'm just sitting there. And Where were you working in the Hamptons? I was doing some consulting. Okay. So, yeah, I was just working on a gig um, and uh, working on a deal, and so I was trying to sell wine to B. Smiths and people out Ooh. there. And everything. We were getting some wine direct from California. Um, but I'm in, I'm in Murph's, and, uh, you know, I'm just talking to this guy. I'm just having probably crappy beer. No, there's like, a... <laughs> Probably Stella Artois and a shot of Jack Daniels. That's what right. I was doing back Appropriate. then. Appropriate. Yeah. And um, we're talking. He's like, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a wine consultant. He's like, oh, my brother, um, my brother's in the wine business in Virginia. I'm like, oh, Virginia. I was like, um, they, you know, they do some good stuff down there. And, and I was like, you know, there's a, there's a producer, Horton. They make this great Viognier and Cab Franc. He's like, my brother's the winemaker in Horton. Oh, wow. That's like, that's, that's MJ's life. That's fantastic. So, um, yeah. That's a lot of our lives in the wine business. It really is. That's what's so much fun about it is it's just all of these threads yep. that link together no matter what town you're in, what continent you are, who you're talking to. You have no idea. Everybody kind of feels like family. I mean, and to give you, a, and since you, since you threw, you threw me an alley-oop, um, yeah, and even when I was going to start this show, um, when COVID hit, um, Travel got shut down, so my wife and I, we like Richmond, Virginia, so we were just taking road trips. So we went down there um, for our birthdays, and we were staying with this uh, woman. My wife used to travel for work down there, and the woman, um, you know, she she used to live in New York City, and she was friends with Willie Smith and and, and all these designers. Nice. Yeah, totally crazy. I but love then, that reference. But then, um, you know, I was saying how. Um, I'm starting, to, you know, I have this thing called the Black Wine Guy on Instagram. And she's like, oh, I have someone helping me with that stuff, social media. And she goes, um, you know, I grew up with, uh, oh, she grew up with, who's the big guy in Napa? I hate when this happens. The big guy in Napa, Beckstoffer. Okay. Andy Beckstoffer. Okay. Andy Beckstoffer. She went to high school with Andy Beckstoffer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just at someone's house in Airbnb. Yeah. I mentioned wine. And she's like, oh, his brother. Do you know this person? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. 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 I was like, oh, she, she's like, you ever heard of I was like, Actually, yeah, I do. I've heard of Annie Beckstoffer. <laughs> do really. you like him? Do you still like him? <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's so funny. That's the world of wine, how people don't realize how 
it brings together so many sectors of life. It, it, it sure does. I mean, even you just saying that I'm in between Andre Mack and uh, Madeline Madinaldo, both really good friends of mine and people I'm very happy to be sandwiched by any day of the week. <laughs> but also just looking at the other people that you have invited on the show, these are all people that I've crossed paths with. Some people I've worked with closely, some people less closely, but we're all part of this village. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. And then... Um, I, we haven't got to this bottle, but there's a bottle of red. Tell us about that bottle of red. Okay. So the first, the white was called um, Intention, and that was a 2017. This is Alluvium, which is also a 2017. And this is a wine that has sort of been built to highlight, showcase our mountain vineyard site, which is called Quaker Run, which has some older vines. Older for us is like 25 years old. Yeah. Um, older and, 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 older and, and vines mountain for you is not necessarily mountain. It's true. But. It's true. But, but, but you, when you're there, you're on a mountain. So. Oh. This, it. it's it's all relative like contextually like there's a slope there's drainage there's granite and there's a fucking mountain you know but is it a thousand meters no it's a thousand feet <laughs> so yeah it's um it's our it's our mountain slope okay it's our slope fruit what and is this it? is merlot old sort kind of older vine merlot mm. on the mountain 75 percent that the rest of it is pretty much petite verdot which is another grape that we're very excited about in virginia Wow. So I'm, as the, the wine geek in me, is thoroughly excited to try these wines. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I've actually done a little research. Ooh. And you're from Poughkeepsie. I am. That's now, what keeps me humble. <laughs> so, I mean, how does a, a West Indian girl of Jamaican descent from Poughkeepsie, uh-huh. how have you paved your own way in this business? I mean, you're a Psalm, you work for a big restaurant group with Tarlow. Now you consult, you do you do events, you're you're working right now, we have a passion project with this winery. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I mean, I don't um, at all think I paved the way for myself. Um, I think that life is very synergistic and things happen. The fact that I'm working with this estate has a lot to do with, this, with the fact that I went to college in this area. I went to college in Charlottesville, the University of Virginia. Was, people are funny, right? I was like, if you went to college in that area, <laughs> it was UVA. Quit fucking I around. To, I, mean, I like, went to college in Cambridge. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I tell people, I mean, I, I see, I'm, I, I tell people I went to college in New Haven, which I did. That's so right. I, I don't think I went to Yale, but, <laughs> but, I, but I went to Southern Connecticut State. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? but, I, but, but, but I just thought I'm like. Yeah, New I, Haven, I, yeah, Charlottesville. Yeah, I went, I went to school in New Haven. Okay. Um, so, so you went to UVA. Cool, So cool. I went to UVA. So I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I think things are just fortuitous and they happen. And if you're prepared and you're ready to sort of like grab that opportunity to when it comes, then who knows what can happen, you know? I mean. And I think the biggest surprise, the bigger surprise for me is that I grew up in such a very sort of predictable bourgeois background all the way through college, was always looking for ways to sort of fight out of this mold and didn't want to have that experience where, you know, I, I went to law school and I got married What's at the age of 30 and did it. Oh, right, 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 right. You have Are a you, law degree. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a good mistake. <laughs> That's all we'll say about that. <laughs> So I think I'm always flip-flopping between what is expected and predictable for somebody who was raised the way I was raised in a very sort of like upper middle class echelon of black excellence with also this extreme bohemian side and almost a slightly misanthropic side that is always wants to blow things up and try new things. Um, So I think that for me, I I left UVA. I ended up in Washington, D.C. I was meaning to go to law school. 
I was going to take a couple years off, work for some nonprofits. I had already previously done some internships on Capitol Hill with Congress people. I'd done an internship with Moynihan, and I'd done an internship with Eleanor Holmes Norton. And she spoke at my <coughs> graduation at, oh, wow. from Southern Connecticut. See? Oh, fantastic! That's a See? good school. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so um, I was in D.C. and I was going to stay stay on the path, and you know maybe apply to Georgetown end up on the Hill, lobby for some horrible company, that sort of thing. And <coughs> essentially... Be, you would mm-hmm. be $750,000 a year richer. I would be, <laughs> at least. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and, but always looking for an escape route, an escape hatch, I developed a love and sort of an obsession with a restaurant down there called Nora. And the night after I had a meal there, I knocked on the kitchen door and I asked for a job. And they said, hold on. And um, and then they came back after they looked at my resume and said, come on up, let's talk. And that was my first entrance into the hospitality industry and working for some of the smartest, crankiest, most contrarian, most avant-garde, most forward-thinking restaurateurs I've ever been around. Nora was Austrian-born. She was a bit of the matriarch of uh, Washington, D.C. dining. She created the first certified organic restaurant in the United States. Um, she was kind of like a poor man's Alice Waters. Poor woman's Alice Waters. Poor persons. <laughs> Poor choose your pronoun. Yes. <clears throat> Alice Waters. Um, but she was a badass. She continues to be a badass. Um, and her partners in the venture were her brother-in-law and also her uh, life partner at the time. And they were just really, really smart. And they were the first people that I heard talking about sourcing, even having to do with wine. And thought about food in a way that I had never seen it thought about, in a way that was political, in a way that I thought, oh, I can take this political degree that I got from UVA. I can take this need I have to make some sort of contribution or some sort of difference in the world. The the work that I thought maybe I was going to do on Capitol Hill, I'm going to actually now just redirect it into food and wine. But it means that Anytime I work in food and wine, there has to be some greater purpose. There has to be some greater, you know, mission that I'm part of. And so I, what sort of always would happen was that anytime I was kind of caught up in a project, it always has to be part of, like, moving the ball forward. Well, my producer is just, she's just so happy with herself right now, <laughs> <coughs> just so you guys know. Um, so what was it about that meal that you said, I want to work here. I'm just curious. Like, It was the first menu that I had ever seen that listed all of the farmers on the back. Mm. And it was the early days of people even listing their greens by, you know, the farmer on the front. So, you know, she would say, oh, this, you know, this farm made these greens, and that's how you would describe it. But on the back, it would have this whole, so it was like she was giving as much credence to the chef and the servers and herself as she was to the way that she sourced the food. And I knew that was everything. And when I worked for her, she um, was very mean, but she was very demanding, <laughs> and she was also very lovable. And she, she and her partners taught me how to think about food and wine and taught me that it didn't just have to be this thing that, you know, it wasn't just about gluttony and pleasure. Like, there was something else. But it could be also about no, no, gluttony totally. and pleasure. No, I get that. <laughs> and, and, like, what year was this? Like, she's doing all this. Um, I'm working for her in the late 90s. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. yeah, but she had been at it for several years before. Totally reminds me of a skit on Portlandia where, where they took it to the extreme of like... Yeah, the, the chicken. Yeah, they went the to chicken, go see the, the chicken. Farm, and then totally. it, it's like a cult. And yeah, the, I love it. I love the guys wearing a dress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's my favorite skit on Portlandia. <laughs> that's one of my favorite skits on Portlandia. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, I also, 
I, I, I really... And also, you have to remember that <clears throat> I am West Indian, my mom born in Trinidad, and my father in Jamaica. So if I'm going to buck the rules, I have to be really sure about why I'm doing it. And for me, somebody who's built the way I am, I just have to have this really personal connection to it. Yeah, and I was going to say that... Um... That was one of the things when I first got into the wine business, like shocked, like you, 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 you think like, you think like, oh, they're just a waiter or they're just a cook. There are so many just brilliant people in the hospitality industry. Yeah. Like ridiculous. Like, like you from UVA, like we had Robert Boron, you know, who went to NYU and got accepted NYU law school and I mean, and just people who were just. They could have done a million different things. When I worked, I worked at Acker Merrill. Like those guys all went to Columbia or NY. I mean, like it's ludicrous, like that that the public could you know think, oh, it's just wine, it's just food. Like they don't know how deep it goes. And I and I I I, I really have a lot of respect for what you're saying about like, and I know being West Indian because like the other uh, people who look like me, black people, where most of them were like West Indian. Like there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Where you grew and up, go, and well, and what when I went to Rutgers, like, mm-hmm. like you know, if there was if there was like, I think there was like thirty black students, it was like you know, twenty. That's women. That's Yeah, I went to law school. Yeah, twenty twenty women, and like you know, like fifteen of them were West Indian. Like it's just culturally um, coming out of the British system. Education is really yeah. a little bit Very different than, yeah. than a little bit different than African Americans. People yeah. don't realize it. I I realized that in graduate school. So yeah, you're if you're gonna buck the thing, you got You got to. You, you got to be, making... be really sure about what you're doing and why you're doing it because you're, every time you go see your, your family, they're going to be shaking their head at you. Um, and, you know, also that's, it's quite loaded to go into service as a person of color. Well, I, t- I said that too yeah. in one of my podcasts. I was like, I, people said you should be – I was never a waiter. I was like, I can't wait on white people, bro. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And, and, and now th- I'm going to sound a little snobby, but let's be honest. I'm a little snobby. So I was never a server. Right. I I was never a server. It was not for me. I went, so my first job was being the chef's assistant. Mm -hmm. And then I came to New York and I worked uh, at a lot of different, you know, like Jamaican part of me, a lot of different jobs all at the same time, which we might get into later. You only got three jobs. (laughs) You're a lazy woman. Yes, yes. You lazy lima. (laughs) And so um, I worked as a hostess and then I got promoted to maitre d' and then I became a floor manager and then I became a sommelier and then I became a wine director. I never served. Yeah, no, and I, I, I'm not manager for yeah. that. Like, I mean, you know, I what, did a psalm gig out in Santa Barbara, <laughs> out in Montecito. I was the manager of the wine store, and then I would come over at night and work on the floor. And I loved that. And I would expedite. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he wanted me to be manager of the whole restaurant, but that's fine. But, like, it, I just knew that wasn't for me because it is a little loaded mm-hmm. because, you, you know. It's loaded. It's like my, my grandmother's all worked in service. Right. My, my grandmother's all cleaned houses. Right. My mother... Did day's work. Right. You know, and little did kids. Are, laundry. Little, little people calling her, right. calling her Alma. Yeah. What? What's that? What? Oh, her first her name. Her first name. Yeah. yeah three years what? old. Yeah, three years old. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so, you know, you had to pick and choose. It couldn't just be, I like food. I'm going to go be a server somewhere, right. right? Like, you had to be like, I have a purpose, and I know what I'm doing, right. and I'm going to go into management. But, you know, ish. Right. <laughs> I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. I was just figuring it out as I went along. But. You figured it out pretty well. So mm-hmm. you said, so. You did. You got a really good um, foundation. Yes, I got this amazing foundation in D.C. with uh, the Puyon D'Amato families, and then sounds like a mafia family. Yeah, they kind of are. Well, D'Amato, they're from Jersey. Oh, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He works with like Norwegian salmon now, so I just feel like yeah, salmon mafia. I'm, I'm sure there's a racket. There. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, came to New York. And that's when I had like 18 jobs. But I had a lot of jobs, partially because for a long time, I only stayed at jobs four to six months. And that's, right, we, we have that in common. <clears throat> that suits me as a Gemini and as just a me. I'm always changing jobs. I loved this industry because you could do that without anybody judging you. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'm just mm-hmm. on my way up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but mostly I just get bored really quickly and I'm always looking for new challenges and new stimulation. And so I could have a lot of jobs and I came to New York and I remember I either wanted to work at one of two restaurants. One was I either wanted to work at Savoy for Peter Hoffman. And then the other restaurant was I wanted to work for Diane Forley at Verbena. Um, and just ends up, I met Diane first and I started working there. Um, but also at the same time I was working for Amy Sherber, who owns Amy's Bread as her like morning manager, um, overseeing the bakery and wholesale operations, and then lots of other jobs after that. Yeah, but at this point, wine was not even nowhere nearby. Yeah, you're just, you know. Uh, I loved food, I loved service, and wine still felt like a white man's enterprise. And most of the sommeliers, I did listen to a little bit of a Robert Bohr's, um podcast the other day, and I know Robert because I worked at Nick and Tony's with the wine program that he put together there. But he, um, he was right in that there, in the early days, like if there were Psalms, they were French mm-hmm. or German mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, they're Franz mm-hmm. and Pierre. And, you know, it wasn't um, everybody, there wasn't a Psalm job everywhere. I mean, we're probably about to go into a reality where there's also not a Psalm job oh, everywhere because sure. there's not really like for, fine dining. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, um, but in that moment, there were not that many sommeliers. And if there were sommeliers, they were European and white. Or there, they were, like my ex-boyfriend, white boys from Owings Mills, Maryland, trying to act like they were European. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> First, I was like, did she date Dustin? Because <laughs> Dustin's from Maryland. <laughs> no, but you know. So you didn't see yourself. I knew a couple of black women that were in the biz, more on like the distribution side. They were just mean to me. They did not care about the mentorship thing. And so you start putting together your network where you can. And the network was largely white. Um, Lots of men, some women. We had some really great, uh, a couple of great sommeliers in the city at that point, Beth Von Benz and Susan LaRosa, that were white women doing great things with wine programs. But other than that, I mean, my first few mentors were um, Charlie Woods, who owned uh, Bonami Imports. well, he didn't at that time. At that time, he was the sales director for Vineyard Expressions, which was an early distributor. And then, um, lucky enough to meet Terry Thies early days. And Oh, uh, we got to talk, talk about Terry Thies. And Joe Dresner and the owners of Chamber Street Wine, um, Jamie, and, um, Jamie and David. Jamie Wolf and David Lilly. Those are all... So I think those are all white men, right? Mm, well. Seems like it. And well, those, but but well, but I but I say I that. I say it's welcome to the real world. <laughs> but you know, they look. They were always rooting for me and pulling for me. Right. And um, Beth was always pulling for me. Anita Casson was always pulling for me. Bonnie Munchen, who was the GM at, at Nick and Tony's in East Hampton. So, you know, I mean, it's great to have you know people of color um, mentoring. But when they're not, you got to figure the fuck out. Yeah, no, I, I wholly agree with that. I mean, like, you know, like. When you listen to even if you watch the Psalm series and you, and you listen to Dylan, he he said I saw that guy who wasn't black, and I was like I want to be that guy that suit that watch like you have to have yeah. an ability to forecast yourself mm-hmm. on you know like onto the, the the screen. You have to take it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean that's 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 the line in um, the Departed. Jack Nicholson. He's like. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, The Departed. In the beginning, he says, you know, the, the one thing, the, well, I'm just going to, he said, the black chap you haven't learned is you got to take it. Yeah. Like, you know, like you got to take it. And I mean, if, if, if I have any issues with the moment that we're in right now is I feel like there's a lot of people that are still waiting for permission and waiting for somebody to make a way. And my thing is that I'm happy to try. I've always tried to make a way for people who come behind me, but I need them to do more than I did. So I need them to still fucking go take it. Right. You right, know, right. It's I not agree. enough for me to like clear the waters, right, right. like go fucking take it, right. snatch it out of their hands. Right, go. Right. So. Like, or, you know, I, a great book I love. We, you know, and I don't know how much you read these days, um, but uh, I don't. <laughs> there's a book called "So Good They Can't Ignore You," right? Like, hmm. we, we, you, you know, be so good they can't yeah. ignore you. Like, yeah. you know, and and clearly, as we unpack your your career, you've done that. People have done that, and I, I believe if one person does it, anyone can do it. You know. Yeah. Now there are paths that are easier because you might have more access early on, or or access to more uh, resources. But the reality is, um, like you said. We are in this moment, and, um, you know, I just hope people are going to be on their game and really next level this shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm here to help, and I'm always here to support. Um, but, you know, certainly, I, look, I mean, I, I think the thing is that I also understand that I was born into a certain amount of privilege. Sure. And um, I often forget that and sort of need to re-acknowledge that. Right. Um, that... Both of my parents went to college. You know, my dad went to City. My mom went to NYU. Um, we had an expanded family that was very supportive. And you know how West Indians do. Like we, all, like, we all take care of each other. You always have somewhere to stay. You always have family to help you. You're never poor, blah, blah, blah. So we did have that. And I have to acknowledge it. I have to acknowledge that as living in the West Indian diaspora means that you have cousins in London, Switzerland, Toronto, Quebec, Miami. Mm -hmm. So you're already seeing the world mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. You're already starting to be like, oh, I can live in any of those places. All my cousins live there. Right. 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 You have so, you. You don't just have black cousins. You have white cousins. Right. You have Jewish cousins. Right. right. Because you know a lot of these countries, many you know, it's about the nationalism of being Jamaica or Trini, but everybody's a different color. Yep. Yep. So I know that I did come into this already, knowing that I had. I was entitled to right, do it. Right, yeah, right. And, and that's, I think I've had some experience in, and, and like talking with Shakira, you know, Shakira, she's like, I, you know, I, I went to private school, you yeah. know. Andre went to private school. I grew up in an affluent county in New Jersey. We weren't, my dad worked at the post office, yeah. but I grew up with an intact family. Yeah. And, and I, that's what I like. I grew up around white people. That's, yeah. what, that's a different experience. You yeah. were going to experience more. Yeah. You know, and, and I get that because now I work with kids who work in the inner city and I'm like, you got to get out of it. you got there's more to the world than what you see. And like, yeah. not good or bad, but, you you know, it's yeah. just exposure. And then, and then I was also lucky. And in fact, Shakira's family now lives about five miles from where my family lives upstate, which is crazy. But the season one has been so tight. I don't even know how <laughs> this has happened, but that's so dope. But um, I was also lucky if, I, if one could say they were lucky to have their parents divorce. But my parents divorced. My mom hightailed it back to the city. So now I'm lucky enough to not just be that black, white, black, white girl upstate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know about no, that. No, yeah, this is so dope. <laughs> but I'm in Harlem on a regular basis. Right. I'm right. in Harlem every every other week. And that balance. The real me. Harlem. We're talking pre Clinton. 
2000 yeah. Harlem. We're talking, no, we're t- we're we're talking, talking mar- 70s, we're, 80s Harlem. We're talking Egyptian musk yes! incense burning down yes! the street. We're talking Harlem the, Week Harlem. The, the 12 tribes Grant's, of Judah brothers Grant's, out there Grant's railing. Tomb, Jazzmobile, Harlem. Oh, yeah. Harlem. I used to go up to Grant's Tomb all the time yes. back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Spanish <laughs> Harlem. We're talking, we called it not La Bariqua, Spanish Harlem. And every Latino person, my grandmother just said they were Puerto Rican. Everybody was Puerto Rican. It doesn't matter if they weren't black and they weren't white. They were Puerto Rican. And you know, and <laughs> we have video. You may see this video. This might be a clip, but like, and we're both complexion. Where did, did just people just come up to you, start speaking Spanish to you on the subway? That used to have shit on it all the time. That didn't happen. No, okay, because no. you, no. you, you could easily be Dominican. You could easily be Dominican. Right. You know? right, right. <laughs> no. Somehow I didn't pass. <laughs> But um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I was I was very lucky that I had a very varied experience. My mom also worked at Columbia uh, for twenty years, so I was always part of this sort of acad- academia like space. Um, yeah, you know, you know, studied in Paris when I was undergrad. So yeah, I know I had some fucking privilege. I get it, and I am very grateful for the people that made that you know made that happen for 100%, 100%. me. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So. You, you're in New York. You're getting a few breaks. You're you're, you're doing some bread stuff in the yeah. morning. Got this gig here, that gig yeah. there. What was your What was like your your big break in New York? I don't. It was just. It was just. Uh, the doors just kept opening. Pretty much anywhere I wanted to go, anywhere I wanted to work, the doors kept opening. And so I think the turning point for me it was like I was at. Um, I think there was a couple of things that happened early on that helped uh, establish the path. One was that um, I was working at a restaurant called Gotham Bar and Grill, and I was a floor manager, and it just wasn't speaking to me. I thought that I really needed to work fine dining. You know, I'd worked in like a few, like more quirky restaurants, and then I was like, oh, maybe I need to push myself work more fine dining. So working fine dining, and I don't know, it just was the environment for me was very static. It just didn't feel dynamic. And the people that we waited on, I just thought they were boring. Um, I don't know. It's just I just felt like a little bit stuck. And so, and also, I, I hated the people I was working with. They were very assholey. So, um, Charlie Woods at that point said, "You want to get out of restaurants? Come work for me at this distributorship." It was one of the early, like really like boutique import distributors in New York called Vineyard Expressions, run by a guy named Mark Whitmore, who happened to be an entomologist at Cornell University, but did this wine import thing in his side, you know, and as like a side hustle. And um, that that really opened it up for me because I said I, you know, I, I don't I don't know how to sell wine. At that point, I think I had probably already had my either started or was in the middle of getting my sommelier certification from the American Sommelier Association, the ASA, which was really hot in New York at that point. And so, but that opened up wine to me, like specifically, like you could actually like specialize in wine. Like I didn't really think of that for myself. And this guy, Charlie's like, you could sell anything, just come sell some wine. Um, was there anything really cool in that book? Did you say when it early? Um, yeah, yeah. It, I, it's two two producers stand out in particular, and I know that you're not part of the whole natural thing, but I'm going to drag you there a little bit. Is um, one of the OGs in the Loire Valley named Claude Courtois. Okay. Um, and then I do love the Loire Valley. Though. Yes, and then um, Northern Ruin producer named Darden Rebo. Okay. And those have two. Those are two icons of the natural wine movement. But at the at the time, it was just like this funky, crazy wine, and I was just like, I don't know how to sell this shit but um but then we had more classical things i sold a lot of you know southern burgundy 
you know, Marange and Santenay and things like that, and, and a little bit of everything. So it was a great book. It was sort of a hip book at the time. And um, that was a really great sort of like opportunity to get into wine. And then I think the second thing that probably happened, then I went back to restaurants for a while. And when I came back out of restaurants again, I worked at Chamber Street Wines, which is, uh, you know, one of the most important wine retailers in the United States. And I worked for them in the year two of their existence, which was 2002. Mm -hmm. And that was really, that set me up tremendously. That was, and then once I worked there, that was it. That yeah. was it? Yeah. Because, you know, it's the same thing that happened to me at Restaurant Nora in Washington, D.C. These people taught me how to think about wine. Um, how to have my own opinion and how to learn about things I didn't even know existed. You know, the, the wine industry was going through some transition at that point. There was a lot of cult wines, whether you're talking about Nap Cabs, whether you're talking about Priorato. Um, Burgundy was starting, you know, to become very important. Um, obviously, Bordeaux had been there. Piedmont was starting to become very important. And so these guys were like, hey, look, these are the classics. These are important to us. We love these wines. And also, we want to be part of this, these, like, emerging regions. And so we're going to go out and source and figure out who's important in all these other regions. And we're going to, like, put our money where our mouth is. And so that was just a really great thing to see, that you could be part of this process. Maybe that's what I want to do with Virginia. Right on. So um, I want to delve into that a little bit more about mm -hmm. Chamber Street, because retail, I think, is really where if you want to learn wine, that's a great place to learn wine. Um, so we got to take... And imagine this. Oh, we're taking a break first? We're, we're going to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. And then we're, and, and, and I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back in a second. All right? Okay. If you follow me on social media, you know I love discovering and drinking new and exciting labels and winemakers. The Wine Spies offer wines like Single Vineyard Tempranillo from Amador County, Single Vineyard Mount Veter Zen from Peter Franis. If you don't know who he is, now you know. Wine Spies has been gathering intel since 2007, so these guys are really connected in the biz, and that's how they can offer so many great deals. I love their locker feature. It lets you build a case over time so you can check out with just one bottle and avoid shipping charges. They have a top-notch tasting panel so I can rely on the wines to be great every time, which lets me play around and discover more. The spies always take care of me, so if I'm not 100% happy with the wine, they'll make it right. And just for the listeners of my show, there's a special Black Wine Guy Experience URL discount code for $10 off your first order when you sign up at winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Okay. We are back. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, um, Chamber Street, you said that you work Chamber Street. I know is, is an iconic retailer in New York city. Um, and, 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 and the country matter of fact, and you were there in year two, yeah, year two of the existence. And they gave you this great canvas. So tell me, like... Well, there was two things that happened at Chamber Street that I thought were fantastic. Number one, Chamber Street was the first store that was, like, high and low, right? For a long time, the top wine retailers, whether it's Acker or Sherry Lehman or whoever, it was all this high-end stuff, right? And that was sort of their focus, like... Well, I, I, mm -hmm. I'm... A, You're going to stop me there? I am, because, you know, we, we did have, you know... Chateau Jean Gervais, which is like a direct import. <laughs> That's like, right. Like That's you, where you make your money. Exactly, make your money. <laughs> comes in through USA Imports, right. and and they call and through like, the vine. people. People like um, oh, we want a board. I'm like, oh my god, we have this thing. It, it's it's an this exclusive. Drinks it's exclusive. Like it drinks, a forty dollar Saint-Emilion. Exactly, it drinks like a first growth Puyac, <laughs> uh, and it's only fourteen dollars a bottle. And, and Chateau Jean Gervais, and it has that. <laughs> 
and it, you can have it for you know, and on a case it comes down to twelve ninety nine. Right. So anyway, so yes. I mean, I think what I'd say to that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was still sort of like the low end wine was still modeling on the high end wine. Oh, for sure. Right. No, I. Agree. Whereas I felt like at Chamber Street, it was like, oh, like whatever, like everything's gonna, like we're gonna look at every region, every producer, every level, and everything came together there. So they taught me about. Like you mentioned, you that, mentioned like Priorat, like the mm-hmm. early Eric Solomon stuff, like Chloe yeah. like talking wines that came out of nowhere. Yeah. And were, were a lot of those were organic, biodynamic, yeah. and not certified. But like these are type of wines that like natural wine people like, but Parker's given 99. So I mean, these wines were like ridiculous. Well, they, I mean, they crossed a swath. I mean, even in Priorat, you see what happened is that um, my first wine trip ever was to Spain. And, um, when I was working at Chamber Street. And I think a lot of what happened with Priorat was that they chased the dragon and then, and then they had to rein it back in, right? So I think there were, Priorat is of a climate and the grape varieties that they use there are just always going to be ripe and big and bombastic Correct. and spicy. It's a yep. Mediterranean climate. Yeah, exactly. Um, with the licorella soils and all of, you know, full ripeness. But... You know, some of those producers really went after those points. And I think they shot themselves in the foot because you can only, you know, the bubble can only grow so much before it bursts. And now what I think you see coming out of Priorato and some of those lesser known appellations that are right up against Priorato are um, wines that are appropriate for that climate, for that terroir. Right. And and that, you make a very good point. I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people just rail against wines that are, but there is a lot of wines that are natural 15% alcohol just because they're climate. And you know what? The, the, <laughs> That is something that I really want to talk about. A little bit happens in Virginia. We have really a fucking hot growing season. And so we get alcohol, and that's just what it is. And you can try to pick to control alcohol, but if you're not picking for physiological ripeness and you're not picking for when the grapes really need to be picked, then what are you doing? You know, Absolutely. then you're, you're, you're negating the terroir. So, you know, that is, you know, I do have issues with the natural wine movement. One of them is that people chase style. Yeah, it's, it's got to be 12.5%. Yeah, no, like, 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 here's the thing. Like, we went from, you know, everything had to be new oak in California and everything had to be rich and ripe and ready to drink in Bordeaux. And then the flip side of that is everything has to be orange, everything has to be murky, and everything has to be 12% alcohol with carbonic maceration. You know, these are dogmatic styles that we, you know, if, if we are savvy tastemakers, you know, I get, you know, if you're a consumer and you just want something that's fun and, you know, but as tastemakers, as the people that are, you know, the middlemen, the middle women buying the wines and, and distributing the wines, I think we have like a real opportunity and a real responsibility to not just get caught up in trends. And to, to me, the most beautiful thing of wine is really being able to experience another culture, another space, another moment in time. And I, I, you know, I want to sh- be able to share that with people. I don't want to just share like wine as though it's a pair of shoes. Right, right. Yeah. No, it is. It's a totally. It's a portal to a different time and it different is. place. And um, I just poured a glass of this red, and I Ma- would not believe um, this. I would not. Mountain be- Merlot. I would not believe <laughs> this is from Virginia. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm like just to know it's blackberries, crushed rocks. Yeah. I'm like. No way. Yeah. We this got some granite. Not, we got some granite up in there. This is not from Virginia. <laughs> 
But it is. I mean, I'm just, is. I, I can't wait to taste it. But yeah, so let's... So and the other thing I want to just point out that I learned at Chamber Street that I think is an important lesson for us all to learn, depending on what our perspectives are, is that when I first came to Chamber Street, I was very um, intimidated by a lot of mouthy, opinionated men who I worked with. And they all knew everything about everything. And I remember that one of the things that they love talk Lyle fast. One of the I love you, Lyle. Uh, one of the things that like somebody like Lyle let's talk about was I went to this wine tasting last night. I went to this wine party last night. The wine of the night. The wine of the night was this. Everything was hyperbolic. Everything was the best, best, right? And you, obviously, you know, I don't even have favorites and best, so like that doesn't really speak to me. That you speak of? Yeah, I don't know. And exactly. um, and so. They were speaking about wine, though, still in a language that I that didn't quite resonate with me and didn't quite sit well with me. This is fucking good. By oh, the way. thank you. That's the Alluvium uh, 2017 from I'm, Early uh, Mountain. I am uh, way impressed with how far thank Virginia you. wines have come. I yes. mean, this is uh, yes. This will fuck you. Put this in a blind taste, and this will yeah. fuck some people a up. Good ringer, right? Yep, it's a good ringer bottle. But um, oh. yeah, so yeah, so, so they got the language of they they know everything about everything, even though they don't. <clears throat> Even though they don't, well, I, like that's they're the best just, line. they just feel like a little bit more entitled to act like they do. Well, that's listen. You know, you got to act like you know. You said you got to take it right. Like, yeah. that's like one of the best lines. And like, I think it was Psalm two or something. The, the mm-hmm. woman, she's like. There's never been a business with so much bullshit in it as a wine yes. business. <laughs> like the idea that nobody ever goes, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> like I love saying that to people. Like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I didn't. I don't read. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Like nobody ever, everybody's always ready with all this shit. So long story short, that was where I learned, that's where I found my voice. That's where I stopped worrying about being wrong. That's when I stopped caring to participate in the measuring, you know, in the, in the sort of the, the competition that those dudes, the bro competition. I said, this bro competition stinks. I know they really enjoy it. But I'm going to assert myself, but I'm not going to participate in this. And that was really important for me deciding what kind of wine voice I was going to have and how I was going to contribute to this industry. Wow. I, I'm, I, that's. You still think about that wine. I am. I'm really, there's like <laughs> blueberry in here, blackberry. That's fantastic. Like, like what, what is this amphora, concrete, French oak, um, partially new French oak? This is Perique, um, partially new, but usually we don't really use more than 20 or 30% new oak in any given vintage, although obviously our barrel program is still growing because we're relatively new. Um, this project really only was founded in about 2014-15. And um, yeah, about, it spends about 18 months in Perique and then a year in bottle. Yeah, so... Knocked it out the park with the wines. By Thank the, you. And and um, everybody's brought great wine, but these are really because they're from Virginia. They're really interesting. I mean, you know, yeah. They're, these are uh, and ha- because I know some of the OGs. These are wow. Yeah, it's been really fun to introduce these wines. I mean, again, I. You know, we may get into it later, but I was sort of there at the beginning of, like, the natural wine thing in New York, and that was all part of, like, introducing people to these wines. Which you got some shit from, right? Yeah. You were on, like, page seven. Yeah, page six. (laughs) (laughs) I was page seven. Page eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little. But, but yeah, like, all, isn't, like, all... All coverage, good coverage, or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, um, there's no, no, no. Yeah, all, there's no such thing as bad press. Yeah, so no, I was, um, I was happy to do that, and um, yeah, I just, I like introducing people to wines and seeing their reactions that are often unexpected. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so then, 
You leave Chambers? Where happens every I left Chambers? Chambers. You know what? I left Chambers specifically to help open a wine store in Harlem. So I uh, helped open the first high-end wine store in Harlem. It was called Harlem Vintage. Still around? Um, not really. It was sold, and now it's called Vintage Harlem, and it's owned by different people. So no, let's go with no. Mm-hmm. It's not still around. Mm-hmm. But um, worked with them for a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, that was fantastic because that was sort of getting back to my roots. You know, I had this Harlem roots, and even though Harlem was gentrifying by leaps and bounds in that moment, and it was a little disturbing at times, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I knew Harlem. I also knew how to talk to black people in Harlem without talking down to them, but also exposing them to maybe something that wasn't part of their heritage in the home. And so it was just, for me, an opportunity to bring a lot of people together and bring a lot of threads together, maybe personally. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. So then that project happens. Yeah, and that was then, fantastic. Which sounds like it would be. <laughs> I mean, totally. I mean, actually, it's 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 a convergence, right? Like the, there's a high-end store because it is being gentrified. But like you said, you had an opportunity to introduce yeah. the people from the neighborhood to these uh, other outlets and different libations. Yeah, I mean, there's something about like having like a beautiful old black dude from the neighborhood come in and say, what what wine should I drink? Can you make it sweet? I'm like, well, I can make it kind of sweet, but I'm not going to make it that sweet. (laughs) You know, I mean, whatever that language is, you know, and then having people taste like wine. Well, I like this Merlot. I'm like, well, that's not a sweet wine. That's just plummy and ripe and delicious. Right. You know, that's one of the hard. Actually, that's that's pretty funny. That's that's one of the things with like as a black person, when I'm selling wine to white person, I don't want anything sweet. I'm like, (laughs) Okay, you need, why are you saying that to me? Uh, I mean, you need to, you need to understand how, <laughs> how how your palate works. So, the tip of your tongue, first thing you're gonna you're gonna get the fruit up front, but it's how it finishes what's yeah. gonna define the wine. Uh, yeah, yeah, but anyway, that's always. A I fun mean, I, I had an interesting talk recently with Mary J. Blige about this because she just released her own wine this yeah, summer, I know. and she and I did a webinar recently where we talked wine and we talked about sort of how what the she said I was just going for smooth, but her wines are bone dry. You they know? are bone dry. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're really, in my opinion, I'm being like, they're very austere. Oh, you think they're austere? They're austere. Oh, minerally. No, austere. Oh, okay. Austere. <laughs> yeah. Minerally has some edges. Even austere. the Ramato, the rose? Yeah, I had the Ramato rounder. and the Sauve Blanc. Mm. Um, it just. Um, or they're that Dolomite fruit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Way down in the jungle, a, a badass <laughs> monkey stamped on Shut a lion's your, tail. Shut your mouth. <laughs> exactly. See, it's all connected. It is all connected. <clears throat> the Dolomites and but, Dolomite. But anyway, we tasted these wines with 400 black women, and they liked them. Uh, well, they, they, well, they like Mary, uh, well, and they like the wines. That's what I'm saying. Listen, you know? listen, Snoop's selling a shit ton of wine. I ain't mad at him. Yeah. And I, is very it's it's very it's a Friday wine. Let's put it that way. It's, you know, and at the same time, you know, bring but, on uh, bring on the sweetness I'm too. I'm unmad. Mm-hmm. I'm unmad. I love port. I love sauternes. I Not love, even that. I mean, no. I like wines that are just off dry, well, that just I have mean, like a touch, well, like whatever. Pe- people know. I mean, uh-huh. if, if you follow my Instagram feed, I, I love Paso Robles. People rail on Paso Robles, but like people do some nice things in Paso. They achieve a nice balance. Can I tell you a story about Paso Robles? Of course, you could tell me a story it's about the Paso Robles. Only. Or you're going to have to beep this, right? No. It's the only place I've ever been called. Uh... Get the, shut the front door. Yeah. Wow. You know what's funny? The only place I've ever been called that mm-hmm. is New Jersey where I grew up. Oh, uh, okay. So See? I didn't even, not even the Kipsy. Nope. That is funny. Like, like I've been called Robles. three times 
Damn. to my face, or at least in a car driving Just so you by. know, white people, we know every time that we've been called it directly or yeah, indirectly. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all in Jersey. Yes. It's so funny. Okay, for me, I but, had to, but, I had to but go I, to California. But I have a good friend <laughs> in Paso. And drink some isosceles. Yeah, I have, I have a good friend. <laughs> I have a lot of good friends in Paso now. And they they rail against, like, you know, they during the past election season there, they couldn't believe. They're like, these fucking people, man. Yeah. Like, these Trump supporters. They're like, you know, like, I grew up with these people. And I'm like, what is, you know, so... Um, so not even in Charlottesville. Not even in Charlottesville. I was going to say closest when closest was that somebody once leaned out of a pickup truck and called me brown sugar. That was it. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not inaccurate. You do have a you have a thank you sugary, brown sugary. Um, yeah, I was like, I was when you said you're bringing wine to Virginia. I was like, okay. <laughs> Damn, do we have any backup wine? Do we have any tiki's? Do we have any, any tiki uh, torches? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, that was hurtful. That was so hurtful to me because that was, they were on my campus. They were on my defiling, defiling the, the grounds of I mean, UVA. I mean, Dave Matthews went to UVA, man. No, he did not. No, he didn't. He lives no. there now. He lives there. Okay, so can I tell you about Dave Matthews? Tell and I don't want to tell you too much about Dave Matthews because I don't work for them, but no. He I'm makes kidding. wine, though, right? Um, yes, he has an estate called Blenheim. Um, wonderful female winemaker there, and um, I can't believe this shit is from. Virginia. It is directly Blenheim is directly across from Trump, so every time I go visit the winemaker at Blenheim at Dave Matthews Estate, I got to go right by the Trump Estate, um, which, by the way, they bought from the Kluge family, which really built up the estate. So they, you know, they don't build anything; they just mostly ruin things. But they haven't ruined the estate yet. Long story short is Dave Matthews, I think is actually originally from Richmond, but he's from the area. He bought this estate right. in Charlottesville. He's been making wine there for like 10, 15 years, doing a really good job. They do a really, really nice job. Their wines are lovely. And, um, and he, was like, he, was like, he was like the campus band when I was at UVA. That, I knew he, he, he was like, yeah, He used right. to like play around campus. That's what I heard. Like people yeah. like, you see that guy? For like oh, totally. My girlfriends were always trying to, to make out him with him. <clears throat> And I was like, he named the band after himself. He just doesn't seem very but creative people, but to But that me. was a black band, just like Sting. He had, he had, he had, he had, like, he had a black bass player. He had, did the, you the, ask the, me my favorite musician? I didn't. And what like, did I, I don't say? have one. Sting I don't is have one favorite. of them. Sting is one of them. I tell people all the time. You know who, had, you know who had the best jazz band in the late 80s? Sting. He had Branford. No, I said I was having a Barry Gibb moment. But you said, yes. Sting is definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, Branford Marcells. He, he had did. Hakeem. He, he had a whole. He had the. He had and then like, he went into that whole North African thing. Right, right. And, and, yeah. and the Desert Rose yeah, moment. Yeah, and I think that was the topic of the movie uh, "Get Him to the Greek," where he did the African child, where the artist went off course and just. Okay, I didn't watch that movie. Yeah. I watch a lot of movies. That, you should check that one out. If you want to, you need a good laugh. Uh, Russell Brand. It's just a laugh. Okay. Just laugh. It was like a, ca- it was it's a follow up it. to the, to the dating um, Sarah. D- Diddy's in it. Sarah Marshall. Jonah Hill's okay. in it. It's very funny. Okay. It's that whole Judd Apatow crew. Yeah. Who I think it's pretty funny. Okay, I'm open. You know, open. I mean, but I mean, there, there is, you could say that's the equivalent of the, uh, white guy in the wine world, you know, the white guy in the movie world, the Judd Apatow. Right. You could say that, but, uh, Shit makes me laugh. Sorry. No, that's okay. Especially when I'm drinking wine. That's okay. But this wine from Virginia. Thank you. Moly. Thank you. I was gonna bring up some backup bottles, but then I read your bio and I was like, no, she's legit. I'm not gonna fuck this up. No, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't work with any producer in Virginia. I'm only gonna work with like one of the best. So, so then, like, how'd you you you, mm-hmm. you worked for a restaurant group? How do you, how does one get a job with a restaurant group? Well. 
I don't know. I mean, I worked in a bunch of restaurants as a sommelier, Nick and Tony's during the summers. I worked at a restaurant called Provence that was owned by uh, Vicky and Mark, who also have cook shop. Um, I worked at Felidia for a hot second, worked at Union Pacific. I worked at Gotham. I worked at Punch. I worked at, so there was a lot of restaurants for a long time. And so I was just become this like solid sommelier professional, right? And then I would do stints in import, distribute, and, you know, sort of supplier side as well. So well-rounded. Um, but one summer I came back, I remember coming back from Italy, and I was looking for a job because, remember, I like to change my job once a year. And um, I went to talk to – oh, and I did spend a few months working as a portfolio manager for Terry Thies. So Terry was one of my early mentors and supporters. So um, just mm-hmm. there might be some people, although I have a really wine-geeky – Following, which is good, but Terry Thies is uh, he's iconic for uh, importing uh, originally um, German wines, and um, and then ultimately Austrian and, and, and champagne. And he he broke my first grower but, champagne, yeah. and then, and he's the grower champagne guy, absolutely, yeah. Um, so um, you know, and he's uh, his book is distrib- you know he's with Michael Skernick, who we'd love to have Michael on the show. We reach out to Michael. Um, <laughs> So I worked for Terry for a few months um, because actually what it turned out was that I had actually taken the job without asking any questions. Terry and I had... I've done that before. Yes. So I was lucky enough to win this scholarship to go travel with Terry in Austria. And um, and so he and I traveled together. We had a fantastic time. I learned so much from him. And he said, as soon as I have an opening, I'm going to hire you. And so he hired me as his portfolio manager. I didn't ask any questions. And he's like, but I just need you to go talk to the Skernick brothers. Just it's like a just a Harmon and Mike. Yeah, and I said, okay, okay, what does that have to do with anything? And um, and then I realized, oh my god, the structure of this company, and now the Skernicks own the Thies portfolio outright. Yeah, yeah. But um, they were they had sort of newly purchased the rights to the Terry Thies portfolio. He was still the picker, and he was sort of the spiritual head. Right. But the Skurniks owned it. So I took a job thinking I was working for Terry Thies. I was working for the Skurniks in Syosset, New York. So that's uh, on the, well, I don't know, do we call that mid, mid-island? Um, that's a long island, I I have not spent a whole lot. I've yeah. just been on the east end, but I think Syosset yeah. is like mid-island. We're going to call that mid-island. Closer to the North Shore than the South. And it wasn't a good fit. It was not a good fit because it was just a lot of white people scratching each other's eyes out to get ahead. And so... What, was um, was Wheeler still there when you were there? Mike Wheeler, Wheeler, look, you know what's really interesting about Skernick? And I think the Skernicks know this. I mean, the sales force is, something, is one thing. And, you know, there's good salespeople and less good salespeople and people, you know, Lerner and Wheeler and people like that. This was after Wheeler and Bowler, but Dan Lerner was still there. So as long as Dan Lerner was in the in the building, I was like, okay, this is going to be a decent place to work. Right. But, you know, sales staff, sales force is completely different than office corporate in-house force. Right. Um, and the energy there wasn't a great fit for me, but I learned a lot of fucking shit when I was there. I was there for four months and I learned... A lot of shit. I, you, it toughened me up I, I enormously. Thought, I thought I was a job jumper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! You're like, and I was. It was such a bad fit <laughs> that I remember going to Michael and going, you know, this isn't like working for me. And he goes, Yeah, you seem miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, He goes, You know, we could do the whole two week thing and blah blah. He goes, Oh, you could just fucking leave today. <laughs> He and was like, get what? the fuck out. No, Don't I, let the door slam you in the ass. But you know what? I appreciate that. Yeah. Just just as an aside for mm-hmm. you listening out there, what is this bullshit two weeks notice? 
99% employment in this country is at will. They don't give you two weeks. They just right. fucking fire you. Right. Why the fuck do you think you have to give somebody two weeks? Just leave. Just leave. Get the fuck up and go. Yeah. But that's um, so funny. He was like, yeah. It was like, um, yeah. It was like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I'm going to have to ask you not to come in anymore. Yes, please. <laughs> Empty your desk. I was like, wait, I thought I quit. <laughs> no, it was cool. I mean, here's the thing. Go it's, directly to jail. Do not right. pass go. That's Do right. not collect $200. It, it was an excruciating four months, and I had some really bizarre things happen to me while I was there that I'll put in the book. But Cool, because I still want you on the show, Mike. Yeah. He's like, I'm not coming on. No, no, no. But <laughs> but I have tremendous respect for the Skurniks. And, you know, fucking Michael Skurnik, I think, was the first guy to introduce Beaujolais Nouveau to the New York market. Um, you know, he was the first boutique distributor. Yeah, he had all the California you know? cold shit. He yeah. had Turley. He had, it was, you he know. all that shit. This, again, <laughs> this could be the most surprising wine so of the of season one right now. Like Alluvium. It's, it, Alluvium 2017. Well, the, the white as well. Both yeah. of them. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this is stellar. Yeah. Okay. And so, I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to say that every, you know, Virginia is like that everywhere. No, no, that's, I, 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 right? I know it's not. I mean, like, I mean. There's 10 producers to keep an eye on. Well, exactly. Wow. Yeah. There's whole 10. See, oh, babe, but there's almost 300 producers altogether. In Virginia? Yes. Well, see, that doesn't surprise me because I tell people, people, you, you get this, like, people like your family um, are like, oh, how's this wine? I'm like, oh. Like, what wine are we talking Just about? Just any wine. <laughs> Just any wine. Prosecco? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> like, come on, DOCG Prosecco's from the Dolomites? Yeah. I've been, I've been rocking right. those lately. That's right. But no, just, just, um, there is so much wine out there. Like it, people don't get how vast. Oh right, they think you know it. every single you wine. You know every single wine at their local shop. And, and beyond that, just like I tell people, I'm like, yeah. The reality is, there's a part of the wine business where it's just rich people that because they have a farm, they get a tax break. Right. <laughs> like 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 Connecticut wine. I lived yeah. in Connecticut. Went to this winery in Connecticut one time. Oh my god, up in Litchfield somewhere. And um, I digress. Um, no, that's okay. And, I like this story. Um, Go to the tasting room, and I couldn't help myself. Like the label was shit. Like the li- I was like I was like, like I'm there with my wife. I'm like, oh my god, this label's horrible. And I, I didn't even. It just like was just. Was the wine any good? The wine was horrible. First oh, of all, okay. Like I mean, that's first, consistent. Yeah, yeah, that was it was consistent. <laughs> the wine was like you know, first of all, like like sixty percent of the grapes had come from Chile. It was you know because mm-hmm. yes. a lot of these states that yes. really can't grow yeah, wine. Yeah, they ship they ship grapes around. Right. It's yeah. really people don't understand. Uh-huh. It's really weird. Yeah. And but then the woman, the taste room person was like, ah, "That label was designed by Donna Karen's graphic designer." I was like, "Well, you should have got someone who designs wine labels." Right, 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 um, right, right. Um, But you know, I say that story to say like, there have been some OG producers in Virginia. Um, make sure you check out the show notes. I'm not, but these wines are stellar. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so um, Ben Jordan is the winemaker. Back to you. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm, is he on Instagram? I gotta find. I gotta find Ben Jordan. Mount Airy at Mount Airy vin- Vineyards. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, so, so, so anyway, so I hopped around a lot. There's a lot of jobs. People always go, "What happened next?" I'm like, I don't know. No, but I, I would I'm, have I'm, to look at a resume to know the sequence of but, my but, life. But the problem is, like, you know, what we're we when I'm, you know, I'm a few years older than you, but like, like people were told you got to stay at a job, like. That's not true. Just be right. good. Like, I mean, yeah. you, 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 I got something here. It's time to move on. I got something yeah. here. Time to move on. Was there ever a time when you're doing all this bouncing around that you're like, 
thought about leaving the wine business? No, not entirely that time. If anything, I'm closer to that now, although finding my way back in through Virginia. Um, but no, this, this whole time I'm extremely passionate. I love the world community of wine. I, I'm in love with it in this moment. I wake up wanting to taste wine. You know, I remember that moment. I'm not there anymore. But there was a moment in my life, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., I want to taste wine. You know, now I'm just like, do I have to taste wine today? Um, <laughs> it's also a function of age. I'm 49, and your body just doesn't bounce back. Shut up! You're not 49. I'm 49. I mean, I, I, mean, I know 71 you. I mean, baby. I mean, I did. The, we did 71. The math, very but, good wine vintage. But, um, um, so yeah, like it's it's um, you're just you don't your body doesn't want that anymore. It just it's just like ugh, I just want like one or two glasses with dinner, but I don't want to be tasting wine all day long. No, I took a break because it's true. Like you, it's it's people people think, oh my god, you're a wine bar. I'm like, motherfucker. After like the 200th wine in four hours. Yeah, I mean your teeth like, hurt. You're just you your know your mouth is black. Purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not eating properly. Like you're spitting. This. You're yeah. spitting, but you're still drunk through osmosis. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 hard work. And it anyway. is. I, that was my joke. I was like, I am sacrificing my liver so you get to taste good wine. Totally. To my no, no. I used to think about that, and people would always be like. You know, are you a wine director or a beverage director? I'm like, I can't handle being a beverage director. That would mean I have to taste tequila and mezcal and scotch. Ugh. And, you know, like, oh, my God, that's just too much. It's enough to even look at grappa because it's made from grapes. So, um, yeah, but anyway, so, you know, no, there wasn't a moment during this time. I was in it. I was so, you know, as somebody that sort of stumbled into wine and really thought she was going to be in food and service, once it grabbed me, it grabbed me, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't quit it for years. For ten, you know, ten, fifteen years, I was that, obsessed. That was not a hit it and quit it. Yeah, it wasn't a hit it. No, quit. I loved it. But within the arena of wine, I could do all these different things. What led me to being a wine director is that, um, well, first it was a really important job for me. I worked for um, Louis Dresner, wine importer, for about four years. Another icon. Oh, you put in some work there, though. Yes, because I found my people. Okay. Yeah, I think up until this point, I was still defining my ethos and still finding my village in a village. The, you know, the, the, it's funny. The larger wine industry, will, I'll always love everybody in it. You know, somebody like Dustin Wilson or Robert Bohr, we, we come at wine very differently, but they're my people. It's game recognized game. Yeah, it's just they're my people, yep. you know. Yep, yep. But then once I drill down a little bit, and I really found like that little sub core group. The natural wine business in late 90s, early aughts, when it was emerging in New York, had already sort of taken hold in Paris and the Loire Valley and places like that. It was this motley crew of bizarre, dynamic, interesting people. You know, it was somebody like me, black woman, next to Jorge, Puerto Rican guy from the Lower East Side, next to David Lilly, you know, uh, former jazz musician from fucking Rhode Island or wherever he's, Connecticut or where, you know, like it was just, it was like you found these people, you had nothing ostensibly in common with them right. but but heart your heart spoke to each other and that's something about wine yeah that like like you get in a room and like and 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 once there's this moment where you know you belong like yes. you find your crew like yes like like it, it it's you know it's just it's 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 a perfect beverage for uh bringing down barriers and yeah. walls because yeah i mean we're we 
we are tribal people. We get into clicks, but like there's this where you're like, oh my god, you like wine, I like wine. Yeah. We look completely different, but we yeah. love wine. Yes. And and but and they're over there, yeah. and they talk about wine, and we're gonna make fun of them in a yeah. little way. But yeah. but but and that's what it is. It, it it is like you said. But then you start seeing people around. You're like. You get the nod, you know, you get the nod, you know. Oh, yeah, okay. it used to be only, you know, I mean, we know about the black nod. Right, exactly. You know, so there's a black nod, people. But um, but then there's a wine nod, right. too. And um, of, and that's a great song. Put this in the show notes. Because <laughs> it's, it's actually Virginia-related. Richmond, yeah. Virginia. Yeah, um, RVA. Mad, Mad Skills. Skills. Okay. 1993. Oh. The, the Nod Factor. One of the dopest hip-hop tracks ever. The Nod Factor. Huh. I, know I got it? your head nodding because your neck nose is fat. Break it down like this and then like that. It's Sounds a, familiar. But oh, yeah. I'll play it for you. Song. I'll play okay. it for you when we're done taping okay. it. Good. And it's going to be in the show notes. The Nod Factor, Mad Skills, um, Richmond V, RVA. RVA. That's how it's Not going too, down now. It, it is how it's going down now. It's yeah. RVA. And they got the with the DMV. Yes. The DMV, D- the RVA. Yeah. Like, it's all on the come up. And hey, by the way, you know, I, I also do a holler to my friends in Maryland, Old Westminster, making a winery, making really nice wines in Maryland. Um, what are they, and in what fact, are, I've become a bit of an East Coast acolyte at this point. Well, I, I'm, uh, listen, if you're, if you're fucking with people, I want to see who you're fucking with. Cause yeah. Like, you know, back, back when I started in 97, like, you know, there was some stuff in the finger. There was, there was a few things. Yeah. But it is really good to see, you know, thank you, climate change, for uh, these <laughs> emerging wine regions. And also, <laughs> um, thank you, hybrid grape varieties. That's very, a little bit true. of something, too. No, th- that definitely is um, the People science. getting off their high horse um, about hybrids, I think, is also going to bring this all into focus. Um, but anyway, so I worked for Louis Dressner for four years. They were my family. They still are. And I went from family to family. And then um, Andrew Tarlow was my biggest uh, client as a, a customer, just, you know, a, a off-premise, I'm sorry, on-premise customer. And so then I segued from working for Dressner to working for Tarlow. And he had never had a wine director before. He, um, you know, I don't think he ever really trusted somebody to do the job. And he, But he and I had spent four years working together as client customer. So we trusted each other. And so I was able to step into that job. And at that point, we were building a hotel in uh, Williamsburg, the White Hotel. And, you know, he had three or four restaurants, was opening five or six. You know, there was a lot going on. So there was, um, it was really fun. It was really great. And I worked for him for about another four years. Okay. And then... Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> You know, um, you mentioned earlier, I said, you know, uh, have you ever thought about leaving the business? So you worked for about four years. And, mm-hmm. and when, did, when did your relationship with the Tarlow Group end? Um, well, I guess 2016, I threw this wine festival, this wine salon called the Big Glue. There had never been, um, in Europe, there was this whole circuit of natural wine fairs. And those of us who lived in New York often were lucky enough to go over to these wine fairs. They sort of, the hub was the Loire Valley, but they were sort of spread out throughout from Austria to northern Italy to the south of France. And we would all go to these natural wine fairs. And we now our community is growing to all these people in Europe, but we all love the same wines and we all love the same producers. And um, they were really great spaces of conviviality and fellowship. 
And we didn't have anything like this here. In New York and in the United States, wine festivals were, you know, they're either consumer-based festivals, which are easy, and but the, there weren't like geeky festivals that were also like super chill and relaxed. And so I wanted to create that. And with Guillaume, who has a uh, wine import firm called uh, Selection Massal, we decided to partner and create a wine salon in the vein of a, of a Dive Boutet from the Loire Valley. Um, we brought over 100 producers and did it over two days in 2016. And lucky enough, I was working at the Wythe Hotel, so we had a hotel space to do it in. And it was fantastic. Um, and then, of course, as soon as I did it, I was just like, yeah, I probably don't want to do it again. But that was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, other people would have taken it. It would have been a branding moment. You would oh, have had yeah. big blues in every city. Austin, New York, Chicago. No, I'm just like, that was great. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> but it's okay because right after that raw came Brumaire you know came uh, Third Coast Swath in Chicago like they they all started to build after that so I felt like my work was done I, I, I part the I part the Red Sea and then I let people come through <laughs> me and Moses <laughs> was it Moses who parted the yeah, Sea okay he it did was, yeah. it was it was good yeah it was I'm a good Moses. church girl I should you know, are, this I stuff. know this stuff <laughs> up in the Baptist church. Um, so, so what have you been doing since 2016? You know what? Honestly, just getting back to me a little bit. I mean, this industry is a little treacherous and, you know, physically I felt really run down. I felt like I needed a moment. Um, at the same time, my personal life demanded that I become um, a guardian for my niece and so I became a homemaker in a different kind of way. You know, most of us don't really make homes when we are when we work in hospitality. No, that's our like, home is the restaurant or the hotel. Totally, totally. And so needing to dial back and take care of things that I hadn't really been taken care of and make a home for my niece and and really become yeah like kind of a parent. So that was sort of the focus for a while and. Also physically getting my life together. And that's kind of where, you know, the segue that I would like to make is that I am, you know, when you call, when I said I'm a self-proclaimed wellness geek, it's more that I realized how run down I was for a really long time. I know that that's not my natural state of being. I grew up super physically and athletically active. And I love this industry, but we have to do a better better yeah, job of no, keeping people I, in balance. I, I do videos about, because that's why I left the industry, because like, um, you know, I was used to weigh like 140 pounds, dripping wet, holding yeah. a brick, and then I woke up one day three years later and I weighed 188 pounds. Yeah. Foie gras and fucking sauternes yeah. for breakfast. We'll do that shit to you. Yeah. The excess. And I, I really enjoyed the hedonist lifestyle of this. Yeah. And, and, and people don't get, like, it is, some, and even looking at you now, like, doing the research, you don't look like you did in 2014. Like, I can see mm -hmm. that you have shifted a lot of things and mm -hmm. transformed your life. So, yeah, I mean, um, and, and I do these videos when I'm working out and just, and people DM me like, thanks for, you know, we can't just be drinking wine all day. So talk about some of the things that you've done to help transform your, your, uh, well, I mean, your one well being. The, yeah. Your I mean, one of the first things I did was I ran a half marathon cause I've always been a runner, but I'm not very goal oriented. So, you know, a marathon seemed ridiculous. It still does to me. It's stupid. I, <laughs> I, I ran in college and high school. I quit halfway through college, but, yeah. 
And the most I ever ran was a half marathon. That, yeah. was, that was too much. Was, yeah. Was, no. But the half marathon was good. That was my sweet spot. I'm sure I'll do another one. Um, so I did that. And then I just started working out with a trainer that touches my heart all the time. Like What he, type of workouts do you do? He is so undercompensated by me because he is my therapist and my trainer. Um, to tell you the truth, so one of the things I worked out about how I best work out physically is that, number one, it has to be fun. And number two, the two or three things that I did when I was a kid that made me the most happy physically are the two or three things I actually need to be doing as adult, but maybe in a modified manner. 100. So we actually do tumbling and gymnastics because I was a gymnast as a kid. Ah. Yeah. BWG gets the inside <laughs> info that wasn't in the Bon Appetit. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, that, that, I hear you. Like, um, yeah, I used to be, uh, when I stopped and when I took a break, I was a personal trainer for a while. Wow, really? Like martial arts, kickboxing, yeah, 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 yeah. And because uh, I always wanted to do martial arts, you know, Bruce Lee movies, um, and And uh, just with my dad growing up watching boxing, Muhammad Ali, I, I just like. I don't like hitting people, but I, I like striking. <laughs> I do like hitting things. Yeah. It's, it's very, very manly for me. Um, it's cleansing. But it's actually, it's a really good workout because you, to, to be a, to be a fighter or a boxer, or, you have to be strong, you have to be flexible, you have to have endurance, you have to have speed. Yeah. So uh, it brings together a lot of the elements that will make you better in life. And also people don't, you have to be smart. Like people think boxers are dumb, like they may be big, but like you, you, the, the, perception of where someone's going to do the micro micro expressions of one's face like really and there's a lot of crossover i mean like with wine i mean wine is it's it's making these distinctions right so but yeah working out i don't like the term working out i train or I practice it needs to be fun because 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 you just need to be to active out? every day yeah like whatever that looks like to you, like just be active every day. Like, you know, there are things that we do in our houses, whether it's vacuuming or sweeping or put, moving things around. Like we're always like looking for other ways to offload it. And I get it. Like we're tired. We want to do this shit. But every day I get up and I sweep my back deck, right? Because that's just, it's an activity. Like I could get a, I could get a leaf blower, but like that's so stupid. So... You know, you just... It yeah, just... You, don't, you don't live in the suburbs like I do. You need a motherfucking leaf blower. <laughs> no, I live in Brooklyn. Yeah, I have no. a small, small... And I have a small... It's not even really a deck. It's I, not, I have a it's patio. <laughs> I have a patio, which pisses me off because I have, like, the no backyard. All my neighbors, I have backyard envy. But, shit, I got all the fucking leaves. That's for damn sure. That's right. Um, but, so, yeah, I, but I, I like staying active work. all the time. But, 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 like, that might be more... I'm like, I'm not going to do kettlebells today. I'm going to go rake leaves. And it feels... Working out. If you don't hate raking leaves, then rake leaves. Well, it's like a I, meditative. I, well, well, it is meditative. Mm -hmm. I I don't like raking leaves. Yes, but if you but don't like, don't do my, it. My my particular training I do I do strength training with kettlebells. Like I believe in lifting heavy weights every day. Like that's I'm, great. Strength strength training is everything. I remember like like when I first moved back here in 2010, we had these huge blizzards and like shuffling snow. Shuffling snow was easy because of my workout. I was like, oh, this is like you know. So you're right. There is this thing people need to understand that we were designed to move every day. Um, like we are agrarian, agricultural people yes. or we're craftsmen or the, yes. the, the blacksmith. Like people used to work. That's right. And and there is a connection between your hands and your brain and, and the stimulating and growth and some of these, these things that we think are like beneath us because we have money. I'll just pay someone to are really good for you. Like mm -hmm. say they're therapeutic, they're meditative. Um, and they're a part of who we are. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're doing well and you hate doing something, there's no reason to do it, right? But that's but the, but the, there's other things that we just sort of decide that we shouldn't be doing them. 
And I just don't buy into that. I think that we should be moving every day in a lot of varied sort of ways. Um, you know, I shouldn't have to... I shouldn't have to avoid using, like, the cast iron skillet because I don't want to lift it out of the whatever, you know? Like, you should be able to lift a Dutch oven. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about five pounds. So you're right. <laughs> you, you should be able to lift a Dutch yes. oven. One hundred percent. Out of the New York apartment cabinet, which is always curved into the left. <laughs> uh, uh. We don't have the same stories y'all have in the suburbs. No, but I lived in New York City. So, yeah. You know, so I, I, Where did you live when you were in New York? Oh, come on, Manhattan. I ain't fuck around. Okay. <laughs> lived on the Upper West Side. You did? Uh, I lived on West 72nd Street. And nice. then I moved over Classic. to uh, the East Side, moved to East 93rd. And then I moved to California. Oh. So, yeah, that's how I roll. <laughs> Northern. No, Southern Santa oh. Santa Barbara. Oh, really? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I, love I was little, I was in Santa Barbara before it was like really hip. You know, this was, this was nineteen. I moved to Santa Barbara in nineteen ninety nine. So nice. I mean, what what I think is funny when you look at like like Santa Barbara was up and coming in ninety seven, and now and, and and like now it's still up and coming. It's still burgeoning. Like you know, um, well, and my my alter ego lives in a Nancy Myers movie in Santa Barbara, so. Oh, that's, I do like that's that, that Alec Baldwin movie. That's that Alec Baldwin that's movie. That's right. What is that one? It's complicated. It, it is complicated. <laughs> and I love movies like, like I remember, like, I had, I had just left the biz when Sideways came out. And I, I knew every fucking wine. I knew everybody there. And I knew the, the wine, the wine consultant. I was like, shit, if I hadn't left the wine business, I'd have been the wine consultant. Like, that's right. Fuck Brad. You would have been at the Hitchin Post fuck pouring Brad, some wine. Fuck Brad Iganagua. <laughs> Who's not even listening to my podcast. But he was, he, you know, Brad had a little uh, wine brokering business. And I guess he was the coolest guy. I was like, I was really oh, cool God, than Brad. so much but, cooler than him. But yeah. no, I, I, I did. I, the first time I went to Santa Barbara, we went to the Hitchin Post. Of that's course, right. Like, like I went to we Hitchin, all did. I went to Hitchin Post in drink 1999. Pinot, and drink some full on Pinot Noir. Highliner, bro. You know? <laughs> And he went to the windmill, like, like Sanford. That, that whole movie. I was like, oh my god, this was like first time I visited Santa Barbara. Sea smoke. You know, sea smoke wasn't around when okay. I was there. We had a blackjack ranch. <laughs> we had, um, you know, um, no, it was good. It was Brewer it's, Clifton. Brewer, Brewer Clifton, love. Those were the days. Love those guys used to come into my restaurant. Like, which is what? The, it was the Montecito Wine Bistro, which is now closed. It was okay. on Coast Village Road. It's now, it's, well, it's not closed. It's like a Mexican restaurant. But, okay. Um, and the guy who started that, you know, he had worked with Doug over at, uh, what's the one, the, the iconic one. Ugh. See what happens when you drink wine it's during okay. the day, people? It's okay. Um, it was the wine, the wine cask. Oh, the wine cask, yeah. Yeah, so everybody knows the wine cask, but Bill had worked at the wine, he worked there, and he was like, ah, oh, fuck you, Doug. And he started the Wine Bistro, which is in Montecito, which was on Coach Village Road, which is right by Butterfly Beach, which is right down the street from the Four Seasons Biltmore. So, like, yeah, I... Had a good time in the wine business, selling wine to really cool people, and um, but, but I mean, I love Santa Barbara. I think it's lovely. Santa, listen, Oprah's if I, there. If I have the, the money. Now. Santa, oh, that is. Uh, Oprah hasn't left, left her compound since March. Let me tell you something about Oprah. Mm -hmm. The dumbass move I made. So I was teaching kickboxing and studying martial arts, and one of the women I work with, she's like, oh, you know, um, hey, uh, Stedman's coming to speak at my church on Christmas. Stedman. He's yeah, like Madonna Stedman. or Prince. Stedman mm -hmm. was coming to speak at her church. And I was like, ah, I of course Oprah showed up and talked ah. for a fucking an hour. I blew my Oprah moment. 
Yeah, but I, I don't Obama. know if I can get through a Stedman talk. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my thing. I was he like, seems pretty I was, dry. I was, I, was like, I was like, actually, I heard Stedman speak a, f- uh, a few years later, and he actually is very good. Because he, he's like, like, is Oprah going to fuck with a real, you know, she, she, she'll fuck with him. He got to be, he got to have something. Well, or it's a yin and yang thing, and it's all Oprah all day long, and Stedman well, is. Well, it is all Oprah. Little milk toast. But, but, but I think he's milk toast to her. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, this is gonna be funny. Who listened to this? Milk toast to her, but he, in his own right, he's a powerful. You know, Stedman was a badass. He was a good speaker, but yeah, I, I, my thing was like, I'm not gonna listen to Stedman. And then Oprah showed up. So. He seems like the Wim Hof of like positive positivity. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you, what's what 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 do you like? You like? I texted you. He's like, I'm a lone gun. I'm a gun for hire. What what what, what are you yeah, working so on? I mean, you got this project. Just, what yeah, else? Yeah, working on? on this Virginia thing, and you know, looking to a couple of possible new projects in the new year with hospitality groups. I mean. God, I, I don't know. I mean, people have approached me about putting together programs for them in the new year. And so that means that people are still optimistic about opening opening restaurants. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, listen to some of the stories that people have been on here. People people with money will have money, so they can wait till 2022 and, right. and gear up. So I think uh, there is a great opportunity for you there to yeah. um, work with people who... Well, and I also think that... For the for the for the moment, I don't think it's going to be a sommelier market because I just think that people are going to try to do more with less for a long time. Oh, for sure. And um, you know, and we became a little, you know, the sommelier trade became a little bit blown up for a while. Thank you for saying that. I mean, yeah. like, I, I you know when I when I had Andre on, he said I did the first level of everything. I mean, you know, it, it was interesting working in California and Santa Barbara and wine country, and I was a sommelier. I was on the floor selling yeah. wine. And I do love that when when Raj says that and Fred says that. Fred, you got a lot of problems, but 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 the question of what price? Fred Fred Dame. Oh yeah. Oh. But 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 exactly. But the definition, like a Somali sells wine on the floor of a restaurant. Like when you see people, like I got this certificate. Have you fucking sold wine on the floor of a restaurant? Yeah, and I mean it's so funny when. So when people say, are you a Somali? I'm like, I, I don't know. I am. I that's was. What, that's me. I'm like, I yeah, was. I was. I kind of feel like I am because I earned, I worked for a long time on exactly, the floor. Exactly. And so once a sommelier, always a sommelier. Right, like right. it never really like is like a muscle over, memory. Yeah, right, exactly. But, but I also remember the time that my cousin put me in my place. So I have this cousin, Janet, and she is Canadian born, but now lives in Switzerland with her Swiss husband. And she, no, you're not a child of any privilege. <laughs> no privilege. <laughs> <laughs> and so she said to me, "So what are you doing with your life?" I said, "I'm a sommelier. I'm a sommelier. You know what that is? You're you live in Europe." And uh, she goes, "So you're a server. You're a restaurant server." And Ouch. I said, "No, I'm a sommelier." She goes, "Well, mm. I know what a sommelier is, and that's a restaurant server. Is that what you're doing with I'm, yourself?" Uh, see, I, if I were you. <laughs> I would have dropped the B. I would have <laughs> B. I don't think you really know. No, but like that. But it is a, it's it, that but, kind but of shit true. that she you're like, you know you. what? She did check I work you. in a restaurant. Exactly. And I am a server. Right, right. And I mostly serve wine, but sometimes I serve but, but it, it whatever's, whatever's in the. The chef's like, yeah, you whatever take the chef's table. You, you become the expediter. That's that, right. that I was an expediter as well, you know? So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think that. For me, being a sommelier and loving wine has always been through the lens of service. And so there is a part of me that will always need to be connected to restaurants because the opportunity 
to share wine with people, especially in the context of food, which I think is the most important, um, I feel is an honor. And in a, in a city like New York, and especially I also felt like I experienced this when I worked in the Hamptons, people are so ambitious and they work so hard and they're so taxed that I love being that little space of respite. I love being like we're in the captain of industry, like lets loose and just relaxes and stops trying to impress. You know, that moment when he stops quizzing you and you're like, it's okay, I'm a professional. Right. You know, whatever the, whatever they need to do, when everybody right. just relaxes, right. like dials it back. I love being in that space with people. It's very intimate space. And I feel like it's a space of honor and it's a space of humanity. And so I think that's what I'm always trying to get to with wine. Wow, we're going to end right there. That was beautiful. This is not scripted. That was amazing. That was awesome. Lee, thank you so much. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. You know, I'm not very active on social media, but if you want to really find me, at Bewitchingly, L-E-E, is my handle on IG, on Instagram. And otherwise, whatever, just Google me. I'm around. (laughs) (laughs) That is so awesome. Um, hey guys, this was a really fun conversation for me. And, uh, you know, we talk about who we want to have on this show, who, who we're bringing to the fore. So once again, until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers. You've hit all those. And of course you are a wine drinker. Thank you very much. It's your boy MJ. And I'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. We want to thank our supporter, the Conaway Fund, a component of the Prosperity Foundation, which supports cultural and heritage events, scholarships, mentoring programs, and more. Go to theconawayfund.org and see how you can donate and make a difference in underserved communities.